a Podcast One production. Whenever you talk about work-life balance, I think most people feel it's unattainable. We're sold that we can have it all, that we can have this perfect life, that, you know, we can have all the plates spinning beautifully. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX-listed companies. And this is Fast Track. Have you ever said the term work-life balance or heard someone declare they need a better work-life balance? It seems that we all quest for the ability to be high-performing at work and also have a quality home life. The term has been examined, challenged and discussed by many people. It has spurned the wellness industry and continues to hold the attention of many workplaces when they discuss flexibility, well-being and engagement. So, is balance really possible in the modern age? Is it, in fact, a load of BS? My next guest felt completely off-kilter in her life, and she started to ask her friends at the school gate, at her coffee shop and at work. And then the floodgates of sharing opened. As the editor of online magazine Women, she then wrote an article on balance and other BS, and it became the most read article of the year. So she wrote a book with the same title. Today I welcome Felicity Harley, author, journalist, mother, businesswoman, and more. Felicity, we're obsessed with wellness in the pursuit of balance. This has to be one of the most divisive topics around. Would you agree? I would agree. I probably tend to lean towards the feeling that most people find that balance is BS. Um, in my experience, I mean, as you said, I've worked in women's publications for 20 years. So I've worked with, with a lot of women, managed a lot of women, led a lot of women and written for a lot of women. So whenever you talk about work-life balance, I think most people feel it's unattainable. So that's probably my leaning towards it. Hence why I wrote a book about it. Right. So what was the impetus for you to really feel like you're going to spend, it's a great book, by the way, but all this time writing about balance and the way we look at it? Yeah, well, it actually started off, I wrote an article for a website I used to, well, I launched a couple of years ago called Women, which sadly closed in COVID. But I wrote um, an article called um, Why Balance is BS and Have Modern Women Been Sold a Lie? And in my 20-year career, it's the one article that has the most amount of feedback. I had, I'm on Sunrise every week. I had Koshi asking me if he was okay. I had friends calling me, people I hadn't spoken to for 20 years saying, are you okay? Because in that article I wrote, I questioned whether, you know, whether balance is attainable. And I, I probably said it wasn't attainable. And I also questioned whether, you know, this whole feminist manifesto I stamped when I was 18 and was it really all it's cracked up to be? Now I'm in my 40s, three kids, I have the white picket fence, I have the career, I have a divine husband. And was I really happy? Like, was this true happiness or is this what we were promised? And so, yeah, so I, I kind of pulled apart that and, and I am a staunch feminist, so I have to say I am right. <laughs> um, and I believe in it. But I, I suppose I just question, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends came out of the woodwork, mums at the school gate, my barista asked, saying, you know what, my life is a circus. 
there is no way balance can happen. This whole work-life balance thing that we're, we're sold as being the utopia, that it's unattainable, that just isn't going to, it will never happen. Okay. So my question to you, what are we being sold at the moment? You, you've said a couple of times it's something we're being sold. Is is it something we're being sold or is it something that we want to have balance? Well, interesting question. I think it's a bit of both. I think we are sold it. I think we're sold in the media. We're sold in the advertising. We're sold it by bosses who say, and, and in, in job ads where, you know, the, the headline is your perfect work-life balance. So we are sold it to a degree. And then from that, I also believe we do want it. You know, we want all the balls just juggling nicely in the air. I like plates better. That's more my kind of thing. Spinning <laughs> plates. Because they can smash and fall <laughs> and you can fall down and scream and fall in a heap. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I still, I do think we, we do believe that we can have it. And I question whether we need to kind of let that go a bit and embrace more of the chaos. And when we fall down to put a hand up and say, I am falling rather than selling this work-life balance. And often we're sold it through social media, through our conversations with our, with our friends. Um, so I think it probably is a bit of both coming back to your question. Okay, so my 25-year-old daughter found this great quote for me a few months ago and she said, we're being sold to upgrade ourselves, all parts, all at once, even the parts that we didn't previously think we needed to upgrade. Is that something that you're talking about here? Is this the Instagram, what I call the Instagram version (laughs) of our lives, which are questing to be upgraded? Yes, yeah, 100%. And I've put lots of studies in my in my book, lots of studies which show particularly millennials and also, you know, Gen Xs. Um, we're sold that we can have it all, that we can have this perfect life, that, you know, we can have all the plates spinning beautifully. A lot of that is sold through social media. And also, you know, rewind 20 years ago, we just had our friends to bounce things off. Oh, what are you doing here? How are you going with this, you know, child at school? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Whereas now we've got all these other influences coming at us, showing that we should have the perfect life, that we can have it all. And and I just think it's setting, well, I don't just think, I know through studies that it's setting us up for a decline in our well-being, in our mental health. You quote some interesting studies in your book, Felicity, about the mental anxiety and our well-being decline, particularly in women. Can you tell me a bit more about those? There's a uh, really a fascinating study that I came across last year by the Jean House NGO out of Melbourne, and it surveyed 15,000 women. It's a lot. So a lot, like it's a considerable study about their mental health and well-being. And basically it found some, well, I think really concerning statistics. So a few was 78% of women have trouble sleeping. 78%? Yes, so nearly 80%. Now, and we've got to remember, this is pre-COVID. So I am interested and you know, looking forward to him anyway, seeing what it's going to be on the other side, because I think that's thrown some interesting other elements into our whole overwhelm and mental load. Um, the other one that really resonated with me were 73% struggle to switch off. 80% of us are always cranky or on edge, we're irritable. And then 60% of us are anxious and nervous and we worry. And and so, you know, these were alarming when I came across this study last year where I thought, you know, we've got a problem. What, have we created something for ourselves as women that is just turning us 
not into very nice people and not being able to cope and, and having mm. all these kind of mental health, they're not mental health issues, it's more well-being, I like to call it. Mm. Like, so I like to delineate between actual mental health conditions and just your everyday ups and downs. And back to your article. So you write this article and you get this flood of people agreeing with you, checking in on you because you've said you've dropped a few plates and then you've gone and written the book. Have you found that the same response to the book, that people are saying, this is my problem as well and people agreeing with you that balance is sold to them, they'd like it but they don't know how to get it in the world? Yes, I've had an an overwhelming response to this book which has been lovely, reassuring, but also worrying. Worrying, yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, someone texted me the other day and uh, actually it was another CEO, my husband runs an AFL club, but it was another CEO from a different code and his wife, and he, this man hasn't even met my husband, just said, my wife has to tell your wife, she, your spirit animals. So I feel like maybe my book is more just raising an issue and allowing women to talk about it and feel like they're not alone in this. Um, through my book, I interviewed a lot of different celebrities and, and high profile women from Tanya Plibersek to Megan Gale to Fifi Box. And I just wanted to reassure women. And that's the feedback that I've been getting, that a lot of us are struggling through this period in our lives and struggling more than ever with all the outside influences. And we can get through it. We will get through it, but it is getting worse. And we need to acknowledge that. And it's kind of a bit of a a rallying cry, but also a big giant hug at the same time. (laughs) Right. So I love it. So we're raising this collective awareness, a bit like Betty Friedan did in the 50s and 60s, where what's the famous quote about she thought only she was expected to mop the kitchen floor. Yeah, and have an orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I read that in your book too. So it was fantastic. But this idea of actually raising our awareness about maybe we can't have it all. Wasn't it Quinton Bryce who said you can have it all but not at the same time? So what do we do if we're all aware of it now? What do we do with this situation where we know that there is a balance we'd like to have and then we quest for it? How do we achieve that? How do we look for it? Well, I think firstly I think it's to acknowledge that there is and and that's what we're doing. I think it's to reach out and support our other friends when we see them struggling because one of the things out of this book is a realisation, I suppose, for me as well, that we are the choices that we make. And so if you choose to have three kids, if you choose to still have your career, then perhaps you can't have other things. And that's what I, I suppose, the, was it the nugget of wisdom that I, I kind of came out the other side that a lot of, when I interviewed Tanya Plibersek, say, for example, she, she talked to me about, okay, I've had my career in Canberra and my family and that's it. You know, I don't necessarily have every, all the other bells and whistles in my life. So I think it's maybe to educate and help other women and, and women younger than me to come to the conclusion that you are the, the product of your choices. And we have to own that a bit more, I think, as women. So this is a very powerful statement. And I didn't know you were going to say that. Oh. And I agree completely <laughs> with you. No, it just no, came no. Out. <laughs> no, no, it's fantastic because I agree entirely with you. And from my own personal experience, having worked with, like you, hundreds of women in leadership, thousands of women working with them in leadership, it's something that I firmly believe in. And I did myself. I actually was a CEO of the Comedy Festival and made a choice to go offshore with my husband and then came back with a litter of children, three children under two and a half. 
I actually had to make a choice and I surrendered not to go back to work. I, I said, I'm going to do this and I did it for eight years. And then I went back and reinvented myself. But I was the product of choices. And I had lots of friends saying, oh, if only you'd been able to do this, this and this and this. But something's got to give. And I see a lot of my clients with things that have got to give and they're really struggling trying to be the perfect partner, the perfect person at work, perfect colleague, perfect mother, perfect daughter, all of the things combined. And I think it's true. I think something's got to give. And unfortunately, it seems to end up being the women. It does. And and even more so, I think in the pandemic, I've seen this, you know, the women, I've definitely had to give up some of my career. So Tom, because he's the main breadwinner in our household, can bring it in. But I, I have to be okay with that right now, because that's just the way it is. And, you know, I'm grateful that we still have an income coming in. Actually, the other thing that for me that was really important that I picked up from interviewing all these experts and because I've got a lot of experts in the book, psychologists, yeah. sociologists, feminists, is that the phrase done is better than perfect. I think a lot of the time women strive to, you know, we want to be our best and we want to be the best version of ourselves and do our best, but often perfect and best are two different things. And for me, done is better than perfect. So, you know, let's just say, it's such a simple example, but let's just say hanging the washing on the line or putting the washing out. As long as it's done and if your partner yeah. does it without you having to do it, it doesn't have to be perfect. As long as it's done and out there, then that is the main thing. And that's a, a small household example, but that can be in, in every aspect of your life. I mean, it's particularly in work, I know that, you know, I want to perhaps write the perfect story or the perfect opinion piece or do the perfect story for when I go on sunrise or whatever it may be. And particularly this book, I wanted this book to be perfect, but I had three and a half months to write this. I had to get it done and I did it. It's not perfect, but it's done. And for that, I'm a lot happier for, and my, perhaps my well being's better off because I've not lowered my expectations because I'm still doing my best. But instead of, you know, cooking that five tier layered frozen cake on a weekend, why don't you just go and buy one from Coles? And I think that if we can send more of those messages out to women and that it's okay to bring the pavlova from Coles instead of the five to your frozen cake. Well, that's done is better than perfect. Yeah. And do you think we've got a, an unusually privileged perspective these days, pre-COVID, post-COVID, whatever it might be, but really of what difficult is and what sacrifice is? Because you had someone come up to you after a, a speech once, didn't you? What did they say to you? Yeah, I did a, um, a speech in Melbourne and it was when I was starting to write this book, actually, and I was perhaps I was complaining, I don't know, about all that I had on. And, and, and she said, she came up to me and she was a bit older than me, a couple of decades older than me, and she said, you know what, that's just called life. Maybe you just have to pull it together and get on with it. And I think that probably rings true more than ever today because a lot of us have just have to pull it together and get on with it when we're whatever struggles. I mean, COVID's affected everyone in their, in their unique ways and we're all dealing with it in different ways. So... In some ways, I thought, oh, come on, it's a different world today than it was, say, 50 years ago. But in other ways, perhaps it's not. Perhaps we just need to get on with it. So it's a bit of an attitude shift for all of us. I think so. What else do we need to look at? What have you learnt from the book about the, all your research you've done, all the people you've spoken to, that's going to help us know how to actually navigate the balance. Yeah, so my book is kind of self-helpy meets research meets, you know, a, a 
zeitgeisty discussion, I suppose, about balance. But the second half of my book is about things that you can do today to help your overwhelm, reduce your mental load, and just see more clearly and be a bit more positive about about life. So one of the, the big things that I go into is the importance of mental space in your day, especially at the moment. I, I mean, I'm quite overwhelmed in my days. I've got kids, I'm dropping some off, I'm managing um, who's washed their hands, where have you, you know, when am I doing shopping? You know, like it, it's just, it's quite overwhelming. And especially with COVID, I think it's added that extra layer of mental load for a lot of women. So the importance of mental space, so that can be five minutes in your day or it can be going and checking into a hotel if you can, you know, at night. I think that's that's a really important thing when we've got, is just, it just takes you out of the moment and gives you perspective. Um, I interviewed this great mindfulness coach and she works with AFL team, the Richmond Tigers. And when she's overwhelmed, she just goes and sits on a public toilet even just for five minutes. Check in with your body. How are you feeling? Where are your thoughts? Are your shoulders tight? Are you relaxed? Look at the sky. You know, just just taking your headspace out of those a thousand things that are, you know, to-do lists, the 3,000 tabs open, the stories that you're telling yourself about what you need to do tomorrow and just check in with how you're really feeling. It just slows you down and just helps you refocus and reset. A family health expert from Adelaide once said that the emotional capital women hold is much greater than anybody else in society. Whether you're a mother or not doesn't matter. We hold the emotional capital thinking about whose birthday it is. We're sort of doing all of those things. And that's sort of a sociological lag where we're we came back to work and got the right to work, but we forgot to actually relinquish a lot of the load. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was a famous French cartoonist who named the whole mental load. It was about five years ago and she drew this this great cartoon of this woman carrying around, you know, this big load. Um, and actually Dr. Libby Weaver, who's a doctor from Queensland, who I, who's also in my book, talks a lot about the rocks you carry on your back. And they named it. And suddenly women put their hand up and said, yes, I'm carrying that mental load. And it's really hard to get rid of that mental load. But I think finding mental space in your day does help ease it a bit. Okay, fantastic. Any other tips? I'm loving it. Give me more. Give me more. Come on, Felicity. Um, What have you got for me? Well, one big one is I think, and especially now more than ever, and I think a lot of us have probably realised this, is the, the importance of connection. I mean, we've got, there's a fabulous study out of Harvard, 80-year study. So it's the longest study ever done into health and well-being, And it's followed men first. And then I think in about the 60s, it followed their wives, looking at them throughout their lives and to determine what helps someone live a meaningful, long and happy life. And the one thing that came out of that is connection, true connection. And that is picking up the phone connection, face-to-face connection, not, you know, messaging through Instagram, sending texts, WhatsApp. It's picking up the phone and seeing people face to face. And I think when you're overwhelmed, particularly now, um, it's so important to just nourish those connections, those friends, family. I mean, women, we've lost our communities. Mm. We have our tribes, but we've lost our close communities. We're not yelling over the fence like they were in the 50s when Betty was having the orgasm on the floor. (laughs) So the importance of connection and friendship and hearing people's voice. And actually, that's one thing that I've really learnt after writing this book and through COVID is I'm picking up the phone a lot more. And it's been wonderful for my wellbeing. And, and it's amazing when you just talk to someone, you put down the phone and suddenly you feel great, don't you? Yeah. 
And I've been trying to do the same thing, but I've been Zooming a lot more and I love Zooming. I love seeing people or FaceTiming a lot. So it's a really important thing for us to remember. Um, I want to ask a question about how we push against the system. So we go to work and the promise is great work-life balance. And then, you know, we're asked to do more and we're asked to do more and we want to please and we want to have great achievement and we end up creeping and creeping and creeping out our day. And the next minute we're doing a 10-hour day and our marriage or our partnership is not faring so well because we've got these competing demands. My daughters are now 22, 23 and 24 and I've got a new puppy and I haven't felt the guilt of the pull for looking after other things for quite a while because I've got young adults and now the dog is like my great guilt trip when I'm working every day. How do we balance both the guilt trip and pushing against the system when we're questing oh, for balance? Do you know, I am in the middle of writing a story about my mum guilt is on steroids right now right. <laughs> because I think it's this... It's like an a puppy eb- guilt, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> I think it, it's a it's a roller coaster, isn't it? After writing this book, I thought, no, I've got it. I know where my boundaries are. So boundaries, I mean, for me, it just comes down to having the courage and confidence to say no. Well, firstly, being clear on what your boundaries are where they stand, what they look like, what you can push back on, what you can't. And that might be a matter of actually writing them down. I think it'd be a great idea to write them down. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So how do I feel about my new job? How do I feel about my friends? How do I feel about my new puppy, if you want? Yeah. Well, what are the competing interests in my life or responsibilities? Absolutely. So in my book, I talk a lot about just being really clear on your well, not just your values, I call it your truths. Like my values are always the same, but my truths and what I stand for change. So at the moment, you know, what is important to me is my kids, my household, my husband, my health. And you know what, that's what comes first. And so sadly, my career at the moment just has to, I mean, it's still there, but that's what has to give at the moment because that's the focus. And if you hadn't made that choice at this time, what would have happened? Burnout? Burnout, overwhelm, even more, probably unhealthy. You know, my body would have broken down, perhaps the relationships. I just think everyone's, everything starts to fall down around you. It's when, a big danger. It's a huge when risk. When those isn't aren't it? clear. Mm. Um, and I think the clearer can, you can be, the more you can stand in it with conviction and have the courage to push back on people that want to come into those boundaries and say, well, no. And the more confidence. I think women, you know, we want it, we're people pleasers. We want to, oh, but, you know, if I just do this, then, but no. Mm. And, you know, people might dislike it and it can feel uncomfortable saying no. But I think often coming back to your well-being is what makes your well-being stronger. So one last question I want to ask, and there's this whole self-care. I think that's the latest Jam, isn't it? Self-care. Self-care. Well, I mean, it all comes under the wellness banner. Yeah. But I've I've been suspicious about the self-care piece because it feels like for me that some narcissistic individuals are able to look after themselves first and not actually sort of abnegate their responsibility. But what are your thoughts about the self-care industry? Because I think it's very important to look after yourself. Yes. But doesn't it go a bit far sometimes? Well, for me, probably self-care comes under the whole banner of wellness. I think the commodification of wellness, as soon as car companies and all sorts of people thought we can make money out of wellness, let's cash in on that. Let's cash in on self-care. I think 
for me, there's it's almost like well-being versus wellness. Self-care is actually really important, finding time to care for yourself. But it's to care for your well-being, not for your wellness, that you, then you're going to put it up on Instagram and show people, oh, I'm in the bath and, you know, and then people, you get affirmation from people liking you for that. And so I think self-care is important, but I think when it's sold as something that we should have, that we should buy into, that it's going to make us more balanced, that's where we go wrong. Okay. So Felicity, I could talk to you for hours about this divisive but interesting topic of balance and and what's real and what's not. But what I love that we've spoken about today is that we're raising this awareness of what it is, that it's up to you, and that there are some things you can do while you're mindful of whether you're being sold it or whether you need it. There are some things you can do to really make sure that your balance is for you and it's not for somebody else. Yeah. Is that what you're thinking too? Yeah, 100%. And I think you define what wellness means to you. So don't buy into the green juices you sold or I must be doing yoga or I do got to do this, I got to do this, I got to, you know, because then you'll just explode Stressed. or implode. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, I'm all about finding what works for you. So if that is mindfulness, go for it. If that is running, go for it. And just choose a few and stick to them and then hopefully you will find more balance. But some days I'm balanced and others I'm not. (laughs) But you know where to come back to. Exactly. if you don't know where to come back to, then you're just going to be seesawing all over the place. So I love it. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming and talking to me Thank you, Margie. It's really lovely to see you. Thank you. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app, or search Fast Track Podcast.